Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sin against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled his debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. And it's great to be in this space uh, to worship with you live. And thank you so much for your patience as we were working through some technical difficulties earlier. But we are here and we are worshiping together. Now, before we begin, let me give a huge shout out to the staff at LSQ that we have here in this space. There's quite a, a few of them here. And I'm, you know, they were working tirelessly to make all of this happen. So thank you so much to every single one of you. I'm sure you all are giving them a huge round of applause uh, at home. And let me give another huge shout out to the staff at Ethical Culture for making uh, this possible as well, for making this a safe uh, place for us to come worship. I know that you guys can hear me out there as well. And for all of you, uh, we can't wait Uh, for you to be able to come and worship with us. So please join us uh, in prayer uh, as we ask God to make that happen for us. Now, with that being said, uh, we've been going through a sermon series this fall in the book of Matthew, 
and we get to today's passage in which Jesus tells a parable uh, that is clearly talking about the importance of forgiveness. Now, as soon as I say the word forgiveness, uh, it may invoke two different responses from you, uh, especially in light of the current social climate. There may be those of you that are saying, yes, yes, let's talk about forgiveness for once. Let's talk about something positive for once, right? No more negative vibes and all these constant reminders of all that is wrong in our society. Why can't we forgive and forget? Why can't we move on? There may be others of you saying, however, no. (laughs) How can we talk about forgiveness when there's still so much injustice out there in the world? We can't cover those things up, right? We need accountability. Accountability is what we need to be talking about. Now, what I want to tell the both of you this morning is that this parable is probably going to challenge uh, both of those responses that we may have. In fact, it was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. himself, when talking about forgiveness, said, Here, then, is the Christian weapon against social evil. We are to go out with the spirit of forgiveness, heal the hurts, right the wrongs, and change society with forgiveness. Now, friends, that's the power of forgiveness, right? To transform our society to be driven not by anger or disdain, but to be driven by mercy towards justice. And so what I'd like for us to do today by looking at this parable is to talk about forgiveness in three ways. First, let's talk a little bit about what it is. And secondly, why it's hard. And lastly, how we can. Right? Where forgiveness is and why it's so hard to forgive. And finally, how we can forgive. So first, what it is. What is forgiveness? Well, for this point, let's look at the first half of the parable. And here we see that the servant uh, owes the king a huge sum of money. 10,000 bags of gold, right? 10,000 there uh, uh, in the Greek was the highest number that could be expressed in one word. And bags of gold or talent, you may have heard of that word, talent was the highest currency that was available at the time. And so what Jesus is doing is he's kind of stretching the limits of language to express an absurd amount of money. And so the servant, owing that much, there's obviously no way for him to pay back that money. And so when he's brought to the king, he asks the king for forgiveness. And what happens is he has that forgiveness extended to him. But it happens in three stages, and that's what I want us to look at, because it tells us what forgiveness is like. So the first thing that we see is that the king took pity on him. That's the first stage of forgiveness, to take pity on someone. Now, the phrase there is a fantastic one, but it's hard to uh, get all of the nuanced meaning of it uh, across in the English language. So, some would translate that phrase as the word uh, compassion. Others would say it's to be moved in your inward parts for another person. And the way I put it is to have your heart go out for the other person, right? That's the first stage of what it looks like to forgive someone, to have your heart go out to them. Now, at this point, if we're being honest with ourselves, when we're wronged, our hearts 
don't really tend to go out to the person that offended us, does it? Rather, it tends to retreat inward. And what we tend to do is we tend to refuse to identify the other person as a person with all of their complexities, but what we tend to do is identify the other person by their offense. When we see that person, we see a liar, we see a cheater, we see a jerk. We identify them by their offense. Now, why do we tend to do this, right? It's, it's, a, it's an intentional, active decision on our part to, when we see the other person, to see their offense. Why? Because if we were to grant the complexity of that person, if you were to grant the other person their humanity, chances are we are bound to see ourselves in them. But you know, once you've identified yourself with them, you find that it's harder to withhold our hearts from them. Well, you see that happening to many of us, right, who have issues with our parents. What we find is that as we get older, even perhaps as we have our own children, many of us find that our hearts begin to go out to our parents. Why? Because we see, as we get older, we see more and more of ourselves in them. And so as when before we used to identify them by the offenses uh, that they've done to us, we begin to see more and more of ourselves in them. And what that does is that begins to humanize them. Right? To have compassion on someone, to take pity on someone, to have your heart go out for someone is to humanize them. And that's where forgiveness starts. The king takes pity on the servant. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com YouTube. But secondly, what we see the king uh, do here is he cancels his debt. He cancels the debt of the servant. Notice he doesn't require payment for the debt that the servant owed. He doesn't say, okay, I understand that you're kind of in a pickle. You owe me a huge sum of money. And what we'll do is we'll put you on a payment plan, right? That's the extent to the mercy, uh, uh, extent of the mercy that I'll extend to you. And he doesn't say that. He completely uh, cancels his debt. And that's what it means for us to forgive, Right to hold back the payment that we are owed, whether that payment is uh, an emotional payment or even a material or a financial one, it's to hold back on the payment that we are owed to cancel that debt. Now, <clears throat> at this point, uh, I think it's important for us to note here that this does not mean that there is no accountability for the debt that is owed. What do I mean by that? What we see in the beginning of the parable is that the servant was brought in as the king was settling his accounts. 
right? The servant is brought in. There is a very specific debt in the amount that was named. Now, what does that mean for us? What that means for us is that forgiveness is not just sweeping things under the rug, letting bygones be bygones and never talking about it or bringing it up. No, there is a reckoning. There is a naming of the debt. There is a naming of the injustice or the offense that was done and exactly what that injustice was. There's nothing about this parable that should tell us that forgiveness means no accountability. No, rather, forgiveness is clear-eyed about the injustice that was done, is unafraid to name it, but even as it is identified and named, decides not to exact payment for it. And that's what forgiveness is, to cancel the debt. Now, at this point, you know what this means, right? The debt doesn't just disappear into thin air, right? Somebody's got to pay for it. And in this parable, the king is the one who swallows that debt, right? That financial loss. And if you are the one that is forgiving, then you are the one who is paying for it, right? Every time you want to give the cold shoulder to somebody who has wronged you, right? You take that lump in your throat and you swallow it. And you make the decision to engage warmly. Or at least, you know, you try to. Right? When you see uh, the person that wronged you succeeding in life, and inwardly you want to imagine their downfall somehow, or you want to chip away at their success in the way you talk about that person to other people, you make the decision to hold your thoughts in, to hold your tongue, and not give yourself the satisfaction. It's to eat the cost yourself. Now, that's not an easy thing to do, as we'll see in a moment. But you see, by refusing to exact payment and taking on that payment yourself, here's what's happening, though. You're taking on the, 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 the explosive power of that violence and hatred, and you're stopping it in its tracks by absor- absorbing it upon yourself. How does that happen? Well, <clears throat> you know, for the first few days or weeks or months or even years, depending on the severity of that offense, right, you are the victim, right? Because every time you decide to forgive, you're being assaulted by the effects of that initial act of offense or violence that was done to you. But after a while, it may take a long time, but after a while, the severity of that violence will begin to die down, right, bit by bit. And you give it enough time, you'll eventually be freed from the assault, And that violence and its power is taken away. You know, vengeance is never satisfied with an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Violence, when it's returned, always escalates. But by taking it upon yourself, you're stopping it in its tracks. And friends, that's the only way that you're going to be freed from the offense that was caused to you without being hardened by it. It was Corrie ten Boom 
who once said, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. It is a power to break the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. To pay down the debt yourself is what it means to forgive. So first, the king takes pity on the servant, and then he cancels his debt, and lastly, we see that the king lets the servant go, right? And that, this is the point that it, all of this culminates to, right? The release of the servant. Now, let me make a, a quick point here. <clears throat> when you forgive, you cancel that person's debt, and you make the decision to let them go, to release them. That means you refuse to see them any more in light of the offense that they cause. You are giving them a fresh start. And you decide, you make the active conscious decision to assume the best about them in your own heart, in your interaction with the other person, and in the way you talk about that person with others. Now, do you see what's going on here? This kind of forgiveness is not cheap forgiveness that is devoid of justice. It is not the kind of forgiveness that eschews uh, accountability and responsibility. No, it names and identifies the injustices, takes the effects upon it itself, and decides to release the offended to begin anew with a new sense of identity. Now do you see why Martin Luther King Jr. gave forgiveness as the Christian weapon for social redemption? Because that's the power of forgiveness, the power to break the chains of violence, to take pity, to pay down the debt yourself, and to release the person who offended you. Right? So that's what forgiveness is. But this is hard work. Right? So let's talk a little bit about why it is so hard to forgive. For this point, let's look at the second half of the parable. And what we find is that the king's servant, now being forgiven of an enormous debt, turns around and runs into a second servant who owes him a hundred silver coins, which is not an insignificant amount of money, as we'll see, but is nothing compared to the debt that the first servant owed to the king. And when he runs into a fellow servant, instead of forgiving him, what does he decide to do? He chokes him. And when the other servant asks for forgiveness, what does he do? He has him thrown into prison. Now, what are we to make out of this? Now, remember, this is a parable, right? So Jesus is telling the story to highlight the lesson behind it. And he draws a parallel between the king and the servant. So on the one end, we have a king who cancels and, and forgives his servant of an impossibly huge debt. But on the other hand, we have the servant who is refusing to forgive what amounts to be probably a couple of thousand dollars in today's uh, currency. Now, what we're meant to do as readers and, and hearers of this parable is to say, okay, who am I more like here? You know, if we're being honest with ourselves, 
I bet we identify more with the servant. Right? And it's incredibly difficult for us to forgive. We hold, we love holding little grudges against one another and finding little ways to make each other pay for their sins. Right? But we put them on a payment plan. And through little slights here and there and cold shoulder here and there and the little ways that we kind of uh, dig uh, them to others, we love holding our little grudges. Or it may be that the debt that we're owed is just too big for us to pay down ourselves. Many of us have experienced, or even now, are experiencing abuse. And even though we know that even as we take actions to stop the abuse, to get out from it, to no longer be tortured by being abused, we, we need to know that at the end of the day, we still need to forgive so that we ourselves are freed from the effects of violence that is being done to us as we saw before. But it is so hard to do that, isn't it? We love holding our little grudges or the debt is just too big. And it's hard for us. Now, why is it so hard for us? See, this is where we need to actually go to the beginning of the parable. And actually, in all of my years reading this parable over and over again, I missed this point. But notice how Jesus begins the parable. He begins by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like... And then he proceeds to tell the parable. And now it's easy for us to just pass over this, but that little phrase is crucial for our understanding of the parable. Right? And this is what Jesus does with most of his parables. He's introducing the kind of society that he is ushering into the world. It's easy for us to take his parables individualistically, But Jesus is actually talking about the kind of society that he's bringing into the world in most of his parables. So it's crucial for us then to understand the distinction between the world that Jesus is ushering in and the world in which we currently live. The distinction between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is talking about here is that the kingdom of heaven is one that operates on the basis of mercy, forgiveness, and liberation. And this is God's heart, and this is God's plan that we see from the Old Testament on. Right? One of the examples that I have for you is that um, uh, is one in which the people of God were to be distinct. One of the ways in which the people of God were to be distinct from the rest of the world in the Old Testament was that they would uh, celebrate the year of Jubilee. We see this in the book of Leviticus. And the year of Jubilee is, you know, every 50th year, it would be a year in which all debts were to be canceled. All slaves would be liberated. And there would be this big celebration. And of course, what we find over the course of history, even though that was legislated into uh, the life of God's people, Uh, They weren't followed. But see, this is the kind of kingdom that Jesus was ushering and is ushering into the world. 
But here's the problem, and here's why it's so hard to forgive. That does not describe the world in which we live today. The world just doesn't operate that way. We live now, even as we are trying to usher in the kingdom of heaven as the people of God, we find ourselves very much in the midst of the kingdom of the earth. And so while it would be nice that every single time we forgive someone, there's this tear-filled embrace and reconciliation that takes place, we know that that is not the case. A debt stays a debt. Right? We don't have things like the year of Jubilee. It would help me out a lot, but we don't. And just as an example of this, we know that African Americans in this country have forgiven and forgiven and forgiven. And yet what we see throughout our nation's history is that racial injustice continues. Fleming Rutledge, who's an author and a preacher here in our city, <clears throat> quoted this article. And it says this, when a white supremacist killed nine worshipers in 2015 during a church service in Charleston, South Carolina, many news accounts focused on a familiar storyline, the decision by some of the survivors to forgive the murderer. It's not hard to understand why they made that choice. Forgiving one's enemy is a core teaching in Christianity. It's also pragmatic. Forgive so you won't be consumed by hatred. That belief formed the spiritual backbone of the civil rights movement. I can recall one moment during a church meeting, the author goes on to say, when a white man from South Africa told black members of my church that they could never get ahead in politics unless they seek to understand the racism of white people. One black woman interrupted him and said, why do we always have to be the people who have to understand. And this, the author goes on to say, is what the author would call forgiveness fatigue. And I know, having spoken to many of you, are experiencing forgiveness fatigue. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that say, I really, really want to forgive, but it's just so hard. Why do I always have to be the one that understands? Over and over and over again. On this side of heaven, forgiveness is tiring. It's straining. And so for many of us, when Jesus says, don't forgive seven times, but 70 times seven, he's talking about forgiveness that is unconditional and infinite in number. For many of us, it reads almost like a death sentence. It's not inspirational at all. Because we look out the world and we say, this is not how the world works, right? Forgiveness is not rewarded. It goes against the grain of the very fabric of this world. It is counterintuitive. It is unproductive. It is not pragmatic. And it is hurtful. And it is draining. And it is tiring. 
It is incredibly difficult, but we have to talk about this last point. How in the world, then, can we forgive? So how can we do this? Well, so for this last point, we need to notice the cries of both the first and second servants as they ask for forgiveness. They cry out, and what do they say? They say, be patient with me. And the word patience there is key to understanding all of this. Because literally translated, it says long-suffering. And so both of these servants are asking, I know you've suffered loss because of me. But what they're asking is, they're asking, would you suffer longer for my sake? Would you suffer longer for my sake? See, the forgiveness, the key to forgiveness, and for us to be forgiving people, is to become a people that are able to absorb a great amount of suffering, the suffering of others without it hardening us, making us cynical, making us into a monster, without even destroying us together altogether. And that's what long-suffering patience looks like. You know, last year uh, for my wife's birthday, I really wanted to get her a handbag as a gift. But I really wanted it to be an expensive handbag. Right, I have no idea what looks good in a handbag. They all, you know, look the same to me. So the only criteria that I had was that it had to be an expensive one. Now, I'm not super materialistic, neither is Helen, but, but why did I want to give her an expensive handbag? Here's why. Years and years ago, uh, this was almost 10 years ago, early in our marriage, uh, we went through an extremely difficult time financially. Uh, most of which had to do with the way I mismanaged our finances. And so for years, I was working around the clock. I would come home late, and Helen would leave, and she was working around the clock, and on top of all that, caring for a newborn that we had at the time. And, you know, I was working crazy hours, and Helen was working crazy hours. We had many late nights and early mornings, and it was probably some of the hardest years of our lives, and I will never forget those years of just how difficult it was. But throughout all of that, and especially as I look back at those years, what's most astounding to me was that my wife, after all those years of shouldering our financial burden, I now realized, even as she was absorbing all of our burdens and all of her family's suffering upon herself, she did it all without losing her joy without losing her enthusiasm for life, without losing her ability to constantly be an encouragement to me. So I said just this one time, I'm going to make room in our budget for this really expensive bag. I promise you it wasn't just another instance of me mismanaging our finances. I made sure we had room in our budget. But I said she absorbed so much suffering for me and my family. I said this temporary strain on our budget for a few months was more, was more than worth it for her. 
See, friends, it is to the degree that you see someone absorbing your suffering that you can turn around and do the same for others. Whether it's a strain on a budget or a lump in your throat every time you see that person, the degree to which you'll be able to forgive is to know how much you'd been forgiven, to know the lengths to which someone else was willing to go to absorb the suffering for your sake. And the patience of this king that we are told about in this parable is but a faint echo of the long-suffering, patient King Jesus himself. The one who is telling this parable. See, one of the most astonishing truths about the crucifixion account for me the more I think about it, is not just that Jesus went to the cross, but that Jesus stayed on the cross. Sometime today, let me encourage you to read over Luke chapter 23 and meditate on it, because Luke chapter 23, what we see is over and over again, we see that people are insulting him. We see that people are mocking him. They say, if you are indeed the chosen one, if you are indeed the Messiah, if you are indeed the king of the Jews, save yourself, they said. Even the criminal who hung on the cross next to him insulted him. Aren't you the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself? And while you're at it, save us too mocks him. And we know, of course, that he indeed was the Messiah, and he could have called on a legion of angels to come down and rescue him from the cross, and yet he stayed. Why? He stayed on the cross to absorb all of your suffering and all of mine, to offer forgiveness to you and me. On the cross, his cross, his heart was broken for us. On the cross, he took on our debt. On the cross, he was working to release us, to give us a new identity, not as sinners, but as beloved children of the living God. See, friends, the cross is the only source of forgiveness that will not run out. Let me encourage you this morning. Will you see how much Jesus suffered for you? Will you see how he absorbed all of our offense and violence upon himself? See, for far too many of us, forgiveness is not going to come easy. But with every opportunity for vengeance that you decide not to take and hold back, let me encourage you to not do that with gritted teeth and white-knuckling your way through it. With every act of forgiveness, will you turn to Jesus and allow his forgiveness to slowly work its way into you, to heal you of the wounds of your heart as you look to extend that forgiveness to others. Friends, in a world as divided as ours, we need the kingdom of heaven to come, one that is marked by God's people freely asking for and extending forgiveness, showing long-suffering patience for the sake of those who hate us, absorbing their offense. And all of that is going to happen as we follow after Jesus and drink deep from his fountain of forgiveness. 
And so by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ, let this be so. Let Redeemer Lincoln Square be a beacon of the kingdom of heaven in which we are marked by this mercy and forgiveness. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for um, this parable, and we thank you that you are, you are the king who forgives. You are the long-suffering king who in Jesus Christ absorbed all of our suffering, all of our hatred, all of our offense and violence. And so, God, we turn to you now and we long to drink from the fountain of your forgiveness. And as we do so, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, will you make us into kingdom people, people who exhibit the values of the kingdom of heaven. And in that way, may we be a light and salt here on earth. So, God, we pray that by your grace, so we thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.